There is the music. Episode 102, Cool Button Hockey Podcast is underway. 103 will be our festivist special where we will air our grievances and I'll tell you everything I don't like about you people. <laughs> That's my best imitation of George's dad as we bring in Mr. Craig Button from Halifax as the World Juniors are right around the corner. Craig, I guess since you are right there, is this going to be must-watch TV? Are the World Juniors back even without Russia at this event? A, a, a couple of things. So episode 102, well, it just kind of fits that I went up Highway 102 from the Halifax Airport over to Moncton to watch the first pre-tourney game on Monday. So look at that, symmetry everywhere we go. Uh, the building was full in Moncton on Monday night uh, for Canada and Switzerland. But it wasn't just the building was full. There was there was a massive amount of enthusiasm. There's four entrances to the arena in Moncton, beautiful arena. There was lineups to get into the arena before the game, everybody trying to enter the game. 100, 150 feet long. People were excited in line as I was coming into the arena. People are all talking about the game. What do you think? Like, yeah. So th th there's there's a real, real sense of of, of enthusiasm uh, for the tournament, not just for the World Junior Tour, for, but for it to be in Atlanta, Canada, and specifically in Moncton and Halifax. And, you know, I, I, I say this all the time. Hockey connects communities big and small and everywhere in, in between across North America. And if you're only going to have the World Junior Tournament in big communities, you know, somehow other communities feel a little bit lesser and feel a little bit diminished. Having the tournament in Halifax and Moncton doesn't make anybody in those cities or the surrounding communities feel that way. And being in the arena on Monday night, you could you, you could just feel it. I was talking to uh, a, a few guys uh, in the morning. They work with Canada's Oceans and Fisheries Department. And, you know, when you when you consider uh, how they travel and everything, they're going to go watch the Austria-Germany game in anti-Ganish on Tuesday night. And they're thrilled. They go, we don't get to see this kind of hockey. They go, you know, it's it's just great. And so they're asking me about the players on Germany and Austria. So I, I, I gave them a couple of players to watch. I asked them, you know, Atlanta, Canada, they're either Bruins fans, Leafs fans, or Canadians fans. So I said, what are you? And so, you know, they, you know, they all declare. But I wanted to tell the couple of Montreal fans that Vincent Rohrer, who is a Montreal Canadiens draft pick, is playing for Austria. So pay attention to him. He's, he's a good player, plays for the Ottawa 67. So just to hear that enthusiasm, I, I it's there. And it, it wasn't there in August. It wasn't even close to being there in August. And last uh, December, everybody was on pins and needles waiting for the air to come out of the balloon. And it didn't take long for that tournament to be canceled. Nobody's fault. Uh, you know, Omicron came in and said uh, – uh, hey, listen, you know what? We got a we got a bigger problem that everybody's got to deal with. So back, I would say back and excited uh, is everybody involved. Well, you get us even more excited with, um, you know, that explanation of uh, the past to the present. Uh, a look at some of the younger players. And you're right about it. Uh, it is across North America, more in the Canadian fabric, but they love their hockey in Minnesota and Massachusetts. And it's grown in so many areas. And you're right. What probably only really unites Canada, whatever decade, whatever's going on, whatever turmoil there might be, uh, is this kind of just natural love of this game where people wear, you know, short pants and stockings 
and trying to get this little piece of horse manure into, well, it's a puck, of course, with vulcanized rubber and everything. It, it, and, and they love so many different aspects about the game. And I'm sure the lines would have been that long anyway. But when you add in the star factor, you know, Shane Wright at this event, but then it's Connor Bedard. Now, we've nor normally always talked about it being a 19-year-old tournament, you know, and we got guys who are not 19. Are they still going to dominate? You know, how how are you looking at, say, Connor Bedard? And the, like, how many names can you put on one marquee? You know, you Elvis Presley, the Beatles, you know, like how many names can go on a marquee for an event like this? Well, for this event, there's only one name that goes on the on the marquee. <laughs> And it's spelled C-O-N-N-O-R, second word, B-E-D-A-R-D. That is the marquee, and it's the only name that belongs on the marquee. He's special. Uh, Steve, you'll appreciate this. You've taught me a number of things over my life, and I, I am appreciative of that in so many ways. But one of the things, and you've done play-by-play, -play, and I know this. I was doing the game on Monday night with Gord Miller, and I know this. When Connor Bedard steps on the ice, I just shut up because he brings everybody to the edge of their seat. Everybody tuning into the TV. Oh, there's Connor Bedard. They don't want to hear me. Connor Bedard's going to paint the picture. Connor Bedard's going to put on display everything he does. And if if I if I start talking, you can miss something. You can miss something magical at any moment in time with Connor Bedard. And so that's what special is. That's what special is. Gord will take it and describe it, and I'll talk about anything after the fact. I, I am not talking when Connor Bedard gets on the ice. And, you know, when you think about that quality of player, keep this in mind. He was a top player in August after he had just turned 17. He's still just 17. He won't turn 18 until next July. And when you think about Connor Bedard's magnificent talents, okay, he is going to be a headliner. He is the headliner. There's other good players. You know, we can talk about Shane Wright, and we can talk about Kevin Korczynski, just to name a few of the Canadian players. But in terms of draft prospects, I would tell everybody this. On December 31st, Canada is going to play Sweden on New Year's Eve in Halifax. I have never seen this at a World Junior Tournament. In my view, the top three players for the draft are Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, and Leo Carlson. Number one's clear cut for me too. Number two, still, still to be debated. They're going to be on the ice playing against one another. You're never going to see that again. You might see it in a semifinal or maybe a, a gold medal game. And they're all prominent players. Fantilli's going to be a prominent player for Canada. Leo Carlson's going to be a prominent player for Sweden. Yeah, there's draft eligible players that come into the tournament. Prominent players. There are exceptions to every rule, Steve. <laughs> and Leo Carlson, Adam Fantilli, and certainly Connor Bedard are exceptions to that rule about it being a 19-year-old tournament. They're special players, but Connor Bedard, I'm, I'm going to put a stake in the ground again. A lot of draft rankings to come out and everything. Oh, Adam Fantilli's closing the gap. No, he isn't. No, he isn't. There's no catching Connor Bedard. There's nobody else that's going to go first overall except Connor Bedard. Nobody. He's a franchise player. Adam Fantilli's a top prospect. He's excellent. There's a gap. <laughs> and that gap isn't going this way. It might be going that way. <laughs> Is there any way to, at this stage, looking at past excitement of 
and I'm going to just say in the modern era, of Eric Lindros, even Alexander Dagg, folks, you know, pre-NHL action, you know, what we've talked about with Connor McDavid, what we've seen, if you want to go to, going back to Patty Kane, is there any way of saying at this point, what's very difficult is getting Connor Bedard and trying to figure out what his next 21 years will look like? I compared him to Steve Eiserman. So let me just see. Olympic gold medal, three Stanley Cups, 1,600 plus points, <laughs> Hall of Fame, <laughs> franchise player, reviving a, a franchise that was known as, uh, as like, I mean, the Detroit Red Wings were proud. They Steve Eiserman came in at, at, at their lowest moments, some of their lowest moments, and left their organization as one of the premier organizations. Hockey Town, they called it. Steve Eisman had a big part in that. That's what I think Connor Bedard's capable of. Playing right away? Like when you say like right away, like what do you mean? Like like tomorrow? October, 20, October 2023. He, he well, could play, right? play in the NHL. He could play in the NHL tomorrow night. Okay. So okay. that's why I needed to clarify right away. I, I didn't know if you were going to fast track him into games on uh, on Wednesday evening. <laughs> he could play Wednesday night in the NHL. I remember people saying once he'd started, because it was a long time ago, that people said Bobby Orr could have played in the NHL at 16. Like, that's how good he was. He could have played at 16, which makes me go, wow. Like, that's wow. And and we're talking about Connor Bedard. I'm sure you thought the same thing about Connor McDavid. So now we're looking at and examining why certain teams, I mean, I don't think the Ducks thought they would be this bad, but Chicago, clearly in Arizona's game plan, was to be in this mix. Now, it's not the old school. This isn't the Penguins and Devils of 84 where they draw. You saw the documentary. Like, for those people out there, the draft used to be, you finish last, you get Mario. You finish last, you get, name your pick. Um, It's not like that. So there's still some, you know, some luck involved. I don't know if you like this system or not. I get confused. We change the lottery system. We change the system to make sure the Oilers don't win again. That's what the managers are trying to do. But for Connor Bedard, October 2023 in and already the 2024, I guess, called her favorite. So it's going to be another, you know, international look at this kid who even in pre-tournament dazzles. Like I said, Kane earlier, that's kind of the Patty Kane play. Remember Patty Kane goes behind the net and blind pass back out front. Bingo, you know, in his prime with the Blackhawks. That's just a, you know, little pre-tournament play to Shane Wright for Connor Bernard just to get warmed up. Right, Craig? Just to get warmed up. It's magic. I I know, you know, there was a, a moment in the game where he grabbed the puck and, you know, he's near the end of a shift, so he's a little tired. But he, he came up the ice and he's, you know, maneuvering through the neutral zone and he gets over the blue line. He's kind of surrounding. It's one on four and he makes a move, makes another move. He ends up backwards and he can't really handle the puck. So then he decides, well... I saw Lionel Messi on Sunday in the World Cup final do some magic with his feet. And so there's Connor Bedard doing a little kick with the puck with his feet. I mean, the beautiful thing about Connor, and, and I say beautiful thing about Connor, is it doesn't matter where he is on the ice. It doesn't matter, you know, who's around him. He's always thinking about how I can make a play. So his stick's tied up. Well, I can use my skate to make a pass. He He's so brilliant. And, and that's why, Steve, like, you know, I feel lucky. I feel lucky to be in the building watching them play. I feel really lucky to be able to be on a broadcast. 
podcast when he's playing. And I do know this, and and, and I know you appreciate it. Like, I'm mesmerized. I want to see what's coming. And that's why I just shut up. I shut right up when Conor McGregor. Like, it's the play-by-play guy that's going to take it because he's magic. Now, what I will say about this year's draft, it's much like 2015, where in my – Conor was clearly the guy people want to talk about, you know – Jack Eichel and everything. Jack Eichel was was a really top-notch player. He was clearly the second best player in that draft. I don't think there's any question. And in this year's draft, if you don't win the lottery or the, you know, then you have a chance at Fantilli. You have a chance at Leo Carlson. Two really, really top-notch number one centers. So, you know, in a different year. You know, where, you know, there's only one player where, where the quality, you know, when you think about Sidney Crosby and then you think about who went to, and that's not a knock on Bobby Ryan. I'm not here to knock on Bobby Ryan, but th- th- that's a massive drop off, massive drop off. Even Ovechkin to Malkin is, is, is pretty nice, right? <laughs> you know, in 2004. And, and that's what teams that don't win the lottery this year, picking two and three are going to have, you know, the, there's a beautiful consolation prize at the end it's you know and, and and if you don't get Connor Bedard but Connor Bedard's a franchise player and this tournament uh I think will just you know put on display other good young players like Fantilli and Carlson but Bedard's special and that's a great point about what is at the end of the rainbow you know there's multiple coins and maybe one pot of gold but there's still gold, and and that's important. And comparing to 2015, how many times did we compare, you know, how great the 05 World Juniors was, and then we went back and said, this draft is special, and I guess those are the 83 birth years, right? So we're looking at certain years of great drafts, 79, uh, 05, 2015, and now people are going to be talking about 2023 and that special, special light. And the excitement of, you know, best on best minus the Russians, unfortunately, I just feel, boy, we have to go back to 2016 that we saw best on best, Craig. Like it's almost from day one, the Canada Cup that turned into the World Cup. It never, it never was set. It was 76, 81, and then we'll squeeze in 84, which is good. Then 87, 91, 96, 04, gaps, gaps, gaps. And now we're 2016. You were at the Olympic Games without NHL players. Not the same. We're hoping to go in 2026. Is McDavid going to be almost 30 before he wears the maple leaf on the best on best? It it just stinks, doesn't it? It's just, uh, I mean, you could argue in a certain way, McDavid's looking at a few things, wondering, okay, I'm not signing an extension. I'll tell you that much. We got three and a half years to make this really work at Edmonton and figure it out. Um, Because I don't know what that team's all about. But on the international scale, it's like it hasn't happened yet, right? It hasn't happened yet. You know, notwithstanding Team North America, not the same. But on the best, 2016 was a great tournament. It was a great tournament. I just don't know where we're at, Craig, this international calendar. It's just, I'm not blaming anybody. It's just, we life got in the way, right? Life and the world got in the way. It's just too bad that we don't have it right now. Yeah, well, I mean, life did get in the way for 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 every every industry and every walk of life, to big, small, and, and medium. It did that. That's reality. Uh, my my friend Simon Zimberg, who was uh, uh, the PR director, press secretary for the IHF for years, created the Champions Hockey League. Just a 
wonderful person, very great perspectives on hockey. And he talked in a, in a thread on Twitter, and it was really, really good. I would encourage everybody to read it. I'm going to – he talked about how soccer, international football, puts their best players on display, and hockey doesn't do it. Now, there's different reasons. You talk about the pandemic. And I will I will defend the NHL right to the right to the end. For five consecutive Olympics, 98, 02, 06, 10, and 14, the NHL shut down their league to participate in the Olympics and took on a tremendous amount of risk. Tremendous amount of risk with the idea that we were going to expose our players and be part of the Olympic and put them on an international chain. And you know what? The IOC never appreciated what the NHL did. And so Gary Bettman and the leadership said, well, wait a second here. We send our best players to your tournament. We can't use video. We can't use likeness. We can't have access. And we don't gain from this in any significant way. And we're the ones taking all the risk. Tell me what kind of good relationship that is. The IOC should be ashamed of themselves. And I'll tell you what. Do you know when they had to pay the bill and when it came due? 2018. Because it was very obvious, without the best players on the planet and what everybody become accustomed to, hockey was just something that was on the schedule. And that's not, hey, listen, for all those players that got to be Olympians, that's forever. And they got to participate. Wonderful. The IOC failed. They failed hockey. And maybe they don't care. Maybe they don't care. But the NHL was right by saying we're not going under these terms. Five consecutive Olympics. The NHL was shut down. We'll travel to Nagano. We'll travel to Russia. We'll travel uh, to Italy. Give me a break. Give me a break. And to me, the IOC better start smartening up. Now, to that end, we got the situation with Russia politically and worldwide. So that's created a conundrum for the NHL. How do you have a World Cup of hockey without the best players and a best on best and you don't include the Russians that are a big part of the NHL? How do you do that? And I think the NHL is very sensitive to that. So those are that's nobody's fault that, you know, Russia goes in and invades Ukraine. They're, you know, people pay a price. The pandemic, people paid a price. But back to your main point, everybody's being robbed of watching these best players compete. And that's what soccer has done a great job of. We got to watch a spectacle at the World Cup, and it, it, it was an epic final. That's what we need in hockey. We need a 2010 gold medal match where the best player in the world scores the golden goal. Just like Messi got rewarded with the World Cup. We need that. If we want to take the game and continue to grow it and have everybody benefit and be involved in it and embrace hockey, we need that. Time now for KB on Ice, an inside look at the NHL, brought to you by our good friends at Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is Canada's sportsbook, 19+. plus. Play responsibly. Craig, make people some money. Okay, listen, I'm starting right quick on Tuesday. Rematch, Pittsburgh Rangers, playoffs. We saw what happened when Crosby was out of the line. Crosby's on fire. Take the Penguins at home to beat the Rangers on Tuesday. Wednesday, I love the rivalry. Dallas and Edmonton. Dallas is on fire. Could they be the best team in the Western Conference? Oilers, three in a row. They, they're kind of dining out. Oh, we got a point in two of those games. Dallas at home beats the Oilers. And on Thursday, Washington goes into Canada's nation's capital in Ottawa. Not only do the Capitals win, 801 and 802 for the great eight. Wow. 
I'll take the Sens in that game, and they shut out Ovechkin. <laughs> I'll take the Oilers in the Dallas game, but I'm with you on the Rangers. The Rangers a little payback against, or the Penguins a little payback against the New York Rangers. Canada's sportsbook is Sports Interaction. Log on to right now, SIA forward slash cool button pod to sign up and deposit today. Canada's sportsbook is Sports Interaction, 19 plus. Please gamble responsibly. Go Pens. Craig Button, we saw something that we perhaps have never seen before in the game of hockey. 106 years of NHL action. Well, 105 because we had the lockout, which we needed. It was kind of like the Great Flood. We needed to kind of erase all the bids and start again. And we've been the beneficiaries for 18 years. But in the first period last night, Kale McCarr comes off the bench. Does a great job of not touching the puck because it would have been too many men on the ice. That's hockey sense. Some hockey sense you can improve. Others I don't think you can teach. Goes around the net being chased by Matthew Barzell, who like Connor McDavid was part of that great 15-year-old game that me and Mike Johnson called, which I loved. And it was just the best of the best some, I don't know, 12 years ago it was now, 10 years ago. McCarr goes around the net and, oh, it looks like he's tripped. He goes down. Arms go up. McCarr goes like this with his right hand. No, no. I fell, no penalty, talks to the refs and talks them out of calling a tripping call, hooking, slashing to Matthew Barzell. Have you ever seen I'm declining a penalty against the other team? Because it never happened, Mr. Button, at any level, any level. You know, it's interesting the way you use the word decline. Because that, that that's essentially what it was, right? It was like it was like 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 I'm not accepting this penalty, right? You know, it, it and I I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to soccer, and and you can't apply it everywhere, but they have VAR, which is the video assisted referee, right? And so if if you used VAR in that situation, you could go back and go, no, it wasn't a penalty. And and the officials want to get everything right. We've introduced a lot of different elements with review and, you know, in, in different aspects of the game. You can't do it everywhere. But I think what it speaks to with Kale McCarr is honor, you know, and, you know, you, you, the referees always want to get it right. And Kale, Kale didn't embarrass anybody. He just kind of, as he went down and he saw the referee kind of put his hand up, as you point out, and said, no, 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 I'm the one that fell. And, you know, Matt Barzell looked like he was going, and the referee came and said, no penalty on the play. No penalty on the play. And he, at, at the end of it all, right, if, if we're interested in getting it right, it was right. You know, yes, it's rare. Do, do we see that? I, I always joke on when I'm doing broadcasts, yeah, there's another player going to the penalty box that doesn't agree with the call. <laughs> no kidding, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> the next player that goes to the penalty box, nodding his head and tells the referee, you know what? You're, you're exactly right. That was a penalty. I deserve the two minute punishment and hopefully they don't score on the penalty. But, you know, that, that's just the nature of the game. And, and because it's so rare, but I will say this, I will say this. You know, and, and you know, it's a long way off and we, we, we consider but is that not Lady Bing-esque? He's won the Norris. He's won the Rookie of the Year. He's won the, the Con Smythe. Could he add the Lady Bing now in, in December? Could we hand out the Lady Bing trophy in December to Kale McCarr? <laughs> I know some people hate the Lady Bing. When I work with Matthew, he refused to even discuss it. All I ever said was, there is something about honor. And we talk about the code in hockey of having honor to fight or defend a player. I'm not sure. The code's changed my whole lifetime. 
uh, and continue. It's almost as if do what I say, not as I do, you know, or as a politician, we expect greatness from our, you know, from our constituents as I go around and do things that FIFA and IOC executives do. Well, I can do it, but you know, you shouldn't be allowed to do it. Well, in this situation, having honor and like, you know, do we really want to be good sports or do we want to be sucks? You know what I mean? Do we want to accept our medals or throw them in the garbage? Like there is something about having, you know, pride and sportsmanship and honor. And that's what we saw. And I think to me, you know, and I don't even know where he is on the, the, the penalty scale or not, but at least it's a it's a votable topic that you say, well, right now, anybody else that's up for the Lady Bing, Kale McCarr's on the list as well for something like that. And I wonder this. I wonder this honestly. Because there's – I went and watched uh, the minor midgets the other day, and there's some good players. And then I watched the kids play, and small area hockey, half boards, right? Unbelievable skill. I wanted to say to the guy, how old are these guys? If you tell me they're four, I'm going to go crazy. Oh, they were six, right? At, you know, at seven, they can play full ice. They were six. I can't believe how good they were. There's kids there that are hockey nerds, Mr. Craig Button, who are going to see what Kale McCarr did. And I know someone is going to do the same thing. Someone's going to do it, whether it's beer league, the NHL. Like, I wonder if somebody else later this year. Now, it's easier to do it if you're up 5-2 and there's eight seconds left and the ref comes over and he goes, no, nah, he didn't touch me. Don't, don't worry about it. You know, I have seen players go like this. It's two. Like, don't look at my face. I'm not going to come here, look at a cut, you know, as Sebastian Maniscalco would do. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm not one of those players. It's two. I've seen players do that, Craig, where they're like, get out of here. It's two. I'm not going to look at my, oh, is my, my chin? Do I got, I, like, I, you just talk about soccer or football. Like, you know, we don't want to get to that. Like, let them play. Tell them, don't die. Like, you get hit, you get up. Like, and that's what I love. I wonder if this carries on because it's a, it's a talking point. Like you don't think people are talking about this at the water cooler today who saw it. I, you know, they're talking about the crazy whack job mom that hit the referee in the head. You know, what the heck is she doing? And then they're talking about Kale McCarr. People already love Kale McCarr. He's unhateable like Steve Eiserman. And now this is another, what's the song say? Another notch in his, uh, his belt for Kale McCarr greatness folks. That's how great this was. I will say one thing, and, you know, the Lady Bing Trophy, you know, everybody gets hung up on the lady part of it, right? And, Steve, I think I, you'll agree with me. And uh, the toughest people I know in my life are all ladies. <laughs> so anybody wants to kind of, oh, I don't want to celebrate the Lady Bing because of the name lady in it, go do your research on what the Lady Bing Trophy is, number one. But they all get hung up on the lady part of it. You know what? To have skill and to have a, a gentlemanly approach to it, right, is pretty significant. You know, would anybody criticize the great Jean Beliveau for being skilled and gentlemanly and, you know, say, oh, he got the lady bing? Are you kidding me? Go ahead. Criticize Monsieur Beliveau. Go ahead. Bottom line is. Kale McCarr, what he demonstrated, we want sportsmanship in the game. We want honor in the game. We want competitiveness. We want good, hard play and, and determined play. That's all part and parcel. But the honor and, the, and, 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 and consideration for others, that doesn't go away. And Kale McCarr put that on high display. Beautiful. The Boston Bruins, for you kids out there, and it's coming up on their 100th anniversary, the first American team 
into the National Hockey League were the Boston Bruins in 1924. They got great early, and by the late 1920s, early 1930s, and the Kraut line, they had a had a very good team, very good team. This team, I'm not saying it's as good as that, but this team this year with their home point streak, having lost in regulation here at press time, a team that I thought was going to get ready to age out. I didn't know what David Krejci would bring. Wasn't sure about Patrice Bergeron. They lied to us about two injuries. McAvoy, they, did, they, they lied to us, Jerry. They just lied to us about McAvoy. And Brad Marchand said, there was no way I was coming back in December. This was before Halloween. And now with Taylor Hall in the third line, with Jake DeBrusque, Krejci and Pasternak, Hampus Lindholm. Did he play like this as a duck? Like, did he play like this as a duck? Linus Allmark thinks he's, what, Terry Sawchuk? I don't know where this is going, Craig. Are they the 84 Tigers? Like, are they wire to wire? And they're the favorites to win the cup as we sit here today. Like, the Bruins are a story. And let's be honest, Boston hockey has always, for the most part, been sexy, hasn't it? Since they entered the NHL and got good. Yeah, and in, in, in some way, shape, or form. You know, you, you mentioned Bobby Orr earlier in, uh, in, in the conversations. You know, like game changer Bobby Orr. And you talk about the Kraut line, right? The, and the Kraut line, you know, keep in mind that the Kraut line left the NHL to go fight in the war. They went and fought in the war. They missed some years in the NHL, you know. So service to their team, service to their country, you know, was never lost on on, on the Kraut line. Uh, and, and, and as we move forward, and, and you asked me that question, listen, Brad Marchand and Charlie McAvoy had pretty significant surgery. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe the timeline for the return uh, was 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 not as optimistic as the players had, and they returned earlier. But you know, they, they did have significant surgery. Krejci coming back to trade for Hampus Lindholm. You asked me the question: Are they the Stanley Cup favorite at this point in time on December the twentieth? Yes, they are. There's no question they are. If you look at their team, what what do they lack? I would say nothing. So you 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 consider, and, and I remember this, and you asked me the question about Hampus Lindholm. Dave Ellett, Jamie McCowan, and Larry Murphy were all playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the mid-90s. And you know what? The Leafs weren't very good. They weren't, they weren't really bad. And we all know what was going on there. Tim Bernhardt, my dear friend who I worked with for a long time, uh, ran the scouting in Dallas and ran the scouting in Arizona. A lot of those players in Arizona, for Tim, Tim had a b- b- good say in them. You know, the not the younger players, but the Clayton Kellers and the Jacob Chickrens and those guys. Those are those were all significant input and really great. He was working with us in Dallas, and I remember he he we he, we were looking for to bolster our blue line, and he'd gone into Toronto to to watch the game. And here's what he said. Here's the scouting report on those three guys, Murphy, McCowan, and Ellen. He said, they're all still good players. They all can still help a team. They're just in a terrible situation right now. That's Hampus Lindholm. He was in a bad situation in Anaheim. You put a good player in a good situation, you, you, you know, he's going to ask, he's going to elevate his game. And that's exactly what's happened to Hampus. Hampus is a really good player. You can take any player and any good player and you put them in, a, in an environment that doesn't bring out the best or burdens them, right? You're not going to get the best out of that player. You know, it doesn't follow that the players that aren't good enough are just going to go to a good team and be good. But good players don't get bad. They don't get bad. And I think Hampus Lindholm is a great example of that. But that Boston Bruins team, wow. And you know what? They got size. 
They got skill. They can make life really uncomfortable for you. Think about the game on Monday night. You know, they were up 4 nothing in that game. And then Florida kind of fights back to 4-3, right? And you think about it, and then they just said, enough of this, okay? You, you gave a little bit of hope here, but that nah, the shot. And they, and they coast to 7-3. Uh, right now, Steve, I don't see a team in the East that can match up against Boston. And it's early still, and yep. there's just something about the Lightning with Sorelli back. What a hear Hagel's having. Their top eight forwards are as, as good as anybody. They don't care about finishing anywhere in the standings, Tampa. They've been there and done that. They're just, you know, they're like, you know, whatever. We'll finish where we ever. We'll play who, whatever. You know, Boston doesn't want Tampa to finish fourth and have them as wild card two matchup. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but it's fun, and and they deserve our, you know, our conversation and and the do and you know trent frederick and charlie coyle and you know jake debrusque it would be something if montgomery's bruins played cassidy's golden knights if we talk about something late in june i mean the abs will still get healthy and have something to say about it but it is funny how you know the belief was you know bruce was a little bit too hard on them they got another coach who was given a second chance there goes Cassidy to Vegas, which is what they needed. So I find the whole thing fascinating, fascinating. Uh, and it'll get even more interesting once we get into the new year. But we wanted to give Boston their due. And I want to say this. Don't forget the worst line in hockey when the Leafs were bad again in 07 was Bozak centering Kessel and Van Riemsdyk. The analytics people said, they all stink. They all stink. Oh, that means they're done. They shouldn't go anywhere. Well, Kessel went to Pittsburgh and won two cups. Bozak was a factor in winning and scoring the big goal against Dallas with Maroon. And JVR still could score and fill the net. And now he's you know older and in decline. So be careful when something's branded. We're going to brand you with this thing. Hampers Lindholm. Finished. Oh, he's good now. Well, I branded him already. Just be careful, right, Craig, of labeling and branding a, a hockey player. I see a lot of branding living in Alberta. You know, it's still the ranchers brand their, their cattle and their calves. They brand them because that's how you identify that they're yours, right? And once you brand them, you know, and the ranchers will tell you this all the time, you can't unbrand them. And you know what? To your point, you, you better be careful about taking a brand, a hot iron brand and doing that because, you know, you got to be flexible. Players, players shift and change. Do you know, and, and, and this question came up, it was a question posed to me on Twitter. I thought it was a really good question. The question was this. So I'm going to pose it to you, and then I'll tell you how I answered it. Right today, you have a choice on your team to take Tage Thompson, seven years at $7 million or whatever his contract is, or Austin Matthews, with two years left on his contract, a year and a bit left on his contract, and 11, almost $12 million. Who do you take? Well, fiscal responsibility is high up on my priority list. And we've got Tage Thompson, who is fiscally tied up at a great number. He's had a year of specialness, of real specialness. Now, is this what he is moving forward? Some say yes, others say they don't know, and I think Buffalo says we hope so. The Matthews part makes you lean towards Thompson because if you have Matthews for two years and he leaves, then you're, you know, up, you know what, without a paddle. So I think the easy answer is Tage Thompson. That's the safe answer. 
Um, but I'd like to think at full throttle, Craig, that Matthew still is a notch above Tate Thompson. I, I'd like to think so, but I can see right now where people go, wow, I don't want to brand Tate Thompson too early because I might need more time to say, do it every year then. Bill DeLego says, once you score 40, you better do it all the time. Well, once you score 60, does that mean you have to do that all the time? Isn't 53 good? So right now, the Twitter question is a great one. I think the safe answer is Thompson, although I still believe Austin fiscally locked up for a long deal would be the one I'd rather have on my team, even though I'm paying a bit more, Craig. I don't know if that's yeah. the right answer. It's just my answer. Well, you know what? We answered it very similarly. Right. Because, you know, I, I I started off with, you know what, I can only get myself into trouble by being definitive here. So I, I decided to go the same route as you, you know, and, and the reason I bring this up and I'll get to this when I finish. Austin Matthews is the reigning MVP of the National Hockey League. <laughs> He's won the Rocket Richard twice, you know, and, you know, I think I think it speaks volumes about Tage Thompson, you know, e even that question being asked. Right. And I, and I think if you look at it on a salary cap situation, once if the salary cap goes up eight million dollars, <laughs> you know, and they're the same age. That's the interesting thing about it. They're the same age. So we know what the certainty is with Tage Thompson. But I would also suggest, Steve, that there's a certainty with Austin Matthews, <laughs> like as an elite, elite player, as one of the best players in the entire NHL. And Tate Thompson's in that discussion. I'll finish with this. Do you know that they were teammates on the USA National Team Development Program? A lot of people don't know that. No, I did not know that, Craig. Yes, they're both born in 1997. They're both got birthdays after September 15th. They were both in the same draft, first round draft picks. Obviously, Austin went first. Tage went later in the first round. And Tage didn't play up the lineup. He didn't play up the lineup. He played down the lineup. He was very, very raw. They were teammates. <laughs> Team Think about that. Think about that. And, and we talk about branding, right? So here was Tage, and you know nobody was looking at Tage at that point in time and going, "Oh, geez, there, there, there's everybody knew Austin. Everybody knew how good Austin was, and you know Matthew Kachuk was on that team. <laughs> you know, and, you know they had they had some really good players on that team. Tage Thompson, though, you know, has shown be careful about branding, one way or another. Give a little bit of latitude when you're trying to look at players and and things. I, you know what I always say: sliding scale. Somebody said to me the other day, geez, Austin Matthews, what a poor year he's having. I said, you know, he's on pace for 42 goals. <laughs> like, you know, like, okay, like, I get it when you come off a of 60, 42, but like, don't tell me he's having a poor year. Just tell me he's having he's having a year not as good as last year, but don't tell me it's poor. He's over a point a game. Is gone. Like, give me a break. <laughs> there was a great question posed on Twitter. Would Matthews get to 50? Um and that still might happen. I, I think yeah. his best hockey this year is still in front of him. Uh, speaking of branding, my final thought is about the Devils. 0-4-1 here at press time right now. At the start of the year, they were branded as the cup favorites. Here they come. They could do no wrong. Their next six games, two against Carolina, two against Boston, one against Pittsburgh, and they play Florida again. And they've hit a bit of a skid. So I'm not saying they're not a playoff team. I never believed that they were going to finish first in the division anyway. But Craig, as you know, this NHL that we love so much is not a sprint. It's not a tournament. It's a marathon. There are many different ups and downs. 
And the devils are finding that out right now as we are basically saying in and around this Christmas time, it's fun watching the ebbs and flow of a season, just like we love watching the ebbs and flow of a young career like Connor Bedard that we're going to start watching eyes wide open on Boxing Day. Yes, to Connor Bedard, it'll be exciting. I'm a believer in the New Jersey Devils. I believe the way that they had success was something that was significant, it was real, and something that they're more than capable of and sustainable. You're going to run into bumps in the season, as you call them, ebbs and flows. At this time last year, the Calgary Flames ran into a similar bump in the road. And I said, no, I like the team. I like the way they they're, they're, I like the way they play. And, and like Daryl Sutter last year, all Lindy Ruff has to do, he doesn't have to try to help the players understand what they have to do to win. All he has to do is remind them what they have to do to get back to winning ways. They've already done the winning. They've already done it in the right way. And Daryl did exactly that last year with the Calgary Flames. To me, that's all Lindy has to do. It's an entirely different thing when you got to try to show a team, you know, okay, here, here's the path we got to take. Here's the things you got to do more of rather than remind them of what they have already done. And that's where I see the Devils. I think they're a real good team, and I think they're going to move through. Hey, listen, you get tested in different ways. You just mentioned the schedule. That's a nice test. It's also a way to put trust and belief back into your own group. I think the Devils will do it. Our festive special next episode, where we will air our grievances. For producer Bruce Bolton, Craig Button, I'm Steve Coolius. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and grow up to be Kale McCarr, kids. That's what you want to be.